Welcome to Ghosts of Notre Michigan's Past. I'm your host, Christopher Struble. Today we are going to be talking about the odd goings-on over the years at City Park Grill in downtown Petoskey's old Gaslight District. Formerly known as the Park Garden, City Park Grill is a location I have been excited to finally include in an episode because I can now declare that every visit I have ever made to the old saloon over the years have been officially for research purposes. And there have been a few. Sorry, Mom. The building itself is one of the oldest in downtown Petoskey and likely the oldest to continuously operate in its first intended capacity, which has always been a saloon. But the building was also often utilized as a meeting place for various groups over the last 140 plus years. When Petoskey was officially incorporated as a town in 1879, it is said that Chief Petoskey himself signed the town charter on the second floor portion of the building. When the drama club and choir needed rehearsal space, they also sometimes met upstairs. Even when the local Methodists were yet to have a church in town, services were sometimes held in the upstairs quarters of the old bar, the same space that once served as an hourly hotel, quite ironic to say the least. In the immediate years leading up to his death, former owner Frank Fochman and his family had their living quarters above the saloon as well. And before we get too far into the tales of the paranormal, I really should take a bit more time to talk about the building's fascinating history, and especially the Frank Fochman years. In 1911, Emmett County voted to go dry and ban the sale of alcohol. Instead of closing down the long-established saloon to comply, Frank Fochman instead opted to build another sister building, just to the east of the original building, that also operated as an illegal saloon. This building was called the Grill Cafe. It had high tin ceilings both on the main floor and in the basement, a strong indication that the basement was not just intended to be used for storage purposes which I can personally attest as I once rented the building and spent hours upon hours exploring the old vaults and remnants from the early years of the building's existence. It is important to note that both operations at the time were being run directly across from the county courthouse and the former location of the city police department and next door to the old jail. The sheriff's office was also within sight of the two illegal drinking establishments, but this was not a problem according to FOIA records that show there was an arrangement with the local sheriff. In between the buildings was an open-air courtyard called the Palm Garden that had secret passageways, which allowed alcohol to be brought into the canvas tented area undetected. The same courtyard also once hosted bare-knuckle boxing matches, as lore has it. The two buildings and courtyard, complete with palm trees, all operated throughout the Volstead and previous dry years in Emmett County, and with a drink menu that would have rivaled any bar in the country today. City directories during those dry years list that the choice of drink that was being served in the complex was predominantly knee-high soda at five cents a pop. The establishments received numerous violations for not complying with the order against selling liquor, but these were really just a formality that equaled a slap on the wrist. When the Volstead Act was finally repealed, both the Park Garden and the Grill Cafe were among the first, if not the first, of the old saloons in town to have their liquor licenses reinstated. But unfortunately, Frank Fochman, the owner, did not live to see the end of Prohibition. On March 1, 1932, according to official records, he passed away from a pulmonary embolism in the upstairs apartment. But there have always been more than just rumors about his death and that it was not natural. In fact, it is often said he died as a result of a hanging, either by his own choice or at the hands of the gangsters that controlled the illegal drinking operations all around Little Traverse Bay, the Purple Gang of Detroit. The Sea Park Grill even has a specially brewed beer on tap in Fochman's honor called Hanging Frank. 
With this kind of a backstory, it's not hard to understand why Frank's ghost is believed to be the dominant entity that inhabits the saloon, that for years has had countless accounts of paranormal occurrences. When I moved to Petoskey in 2008, I did not know one person in town. So soon I was a regular at the bar that I had visited many times over the years while on vacation because of its connection to Ernest Hemingway, who also had frequented the speakeasy during the years of 1919 and 1920. But I made a habit of not taking the second seat from the end that Hemingway is rumored to have favored. Instead, I took the seat at the very end so I could meet all of the servers and managers as they worked their shifts. Right after I started to become acquainted with the staff, I also began to hear tales of the sometimes quite dramatic ghostly encounters the staff and guests alike had been documenting over their years. The first story I heard was told to me by a former bouncer, with whom I still remain good friends today, and whose story still remains the same. The incident took place on New Year's Eve 2007. The bar had been closed for a few hours, and as the staff continued to restock and clean the restaurant slash bar after the chaotic night of celebration, by around 4 a.m. only two workers remained, my friend, the bouncer, and a female bartender. As the bouncer came out from the kitchen, he noticed a man in an unusual black suit and 1920s era hat just a few yards in front of him and standing just under the archway about midway to the bar. The man immediately darted into the adjacent dining room, a room that is windowless and has only two entrances, both of which lead back into the main dining section. My friend immediately raced after the man, an easy target, he thought, only to find that the man had vanished. After hours of searching for the unwanted guest, the two employees finally decided to close up the restaurant and take the chance of getting a late-night call from the police or possibly the alarm company informing them someone was still in the building. That was a call that never came that early morning. The man in black, as he is referenced, has been witnessed by several employees, spanning from 20 years ago to just as recently as last year. And it's not only the employees that have had the fortune or misfortune to have witnessed him, I once watched a very confused wine vendor try to process how she could have been looking at a man in a retro black suit, standing under the same arch that my friend saw him, simply vanish. This was something the two employees and myself who were standing right next to her that afternoon were oblivious to. Is this place haunted, she asked. Silence. Other stories also followed, including wine bottles that were prone to flying off the shelves periodically and the strange phenomenon of wine glasses, usually containing red wine for whatever reason, either levitating and floating off of the table, or breaking at a very unnatural rate, right where the stem meets the bowl. Just a few summers ago on a tour, I was telling a group of guests about the wine glass anomalies. A husband and wife that had just dined in the restaurant looked at each other with an odd look on their faces and told the rest of us on the tour that at dinner, just prior to joining our group, they and several other diners had just witnessed the same scenario for themselves. One evening, my business partner and I were enjoying a great meal in the back section of the dining room. The place was at full capacity that evening, and maybe 10 minutes into our meal, the chandelier above us, one of six in this section of the dining room, began to swivel back and forth, eventually picking up enough momentum that we thought it actually might become detached from its fixture. The other five lights in proximity, however, remained stationary. As the manager, a friend of ours, approached us, we asked what was going on, to which he replied, try not to attract too much attention. It's been freaking everyone out for hours. Note, 
everyone in the restaurant at this time was looking right at our table. I was hosting a private tour a few years later for a friend and his group, and he started to tell very much the same story as it was related to him by the manager that was working that night. Pete, I said, I'm the guy that was seated there for the spectacle. If you want to possibly experience that creep factor for yourself, ask for a tour of the basement of City Park Grill sometime while you're there. The building was literally built upon trees, many of which never even had the bark stripped off of them. The main section of the basement, a long antiquated space split into two corridors, very narrow. The old keg house is there, dating back to the late 1800s. And there are two blocked off tunnel entrances, one at the front of the building and one that used to lead to the old Cushman Hotel, a large 1880s area hotel that once stood just inches from the old Park Garden Saloon. The passageway to the Cushman facilitated the transfer of both patrons and alcohol alike between the old buildings and out of sight of the quote-unquote law. In 1928, the Cushman experienced, like so many other buildings in Petoskey, a devastating fire that consumed most of the fireproof annex, but somehow left the old wooden section of the hotel mostly untouched. You can still see charred timbers from that fire that stand next to the tunnel entrance in the City Park basement to this day. I literally have been paid my weight in beer to sit at the bar by several bartenders over the years because the least favorite part of their job is restocking the basement cooler after the bar is closed, especially when they know they are the last person in the entire building, yet on occasion can still hear the sounds of a very active bar crowd directly above them. Creaking floorboards, laughter, and on numerous occasions, live music from bygone eras. One bartender, a Marine, became so uncomfortable, or okay, let's say it, scared stiff, from all the experiences he had in the basement over the 18 months he was employed there, that he simply quit his job. Another had an experience that was so traumatizing to him that to this day he has not shared the details of what happened one evening in the restaurant with anyone. During one of our tours of the basement, our group was approached by a former chef. He's a very cynical, dry-witted individual and the last, well, let's say second to the last person I would have ever expected to hear a ghost story from. However, he proceeded to tell us his experience that evening of coming from the back kitchen to check on the occupancy of the dining room. And as he looked to the very front of the building, he noticed a man and woman slip through the door that leads to the original stairway and the basement below. He said besides the fact that they were not supposed to be down there, there also just wasn't something right about them. He returned to the kitchen and descended the newer stairway in the back of the building. And as he negotiated the dark corridor, unlit, he could hear the obvious sounds of, let's just say, amorous activity. Just as he was within feet of the couple, he turned on his flashlight, intending to scare them from their place of recreation. When his light came on, he was the one that was quite shocked to find he was alone in the dank room. With ceilings just barely over six foot, and he himself standing well above six feet in height, he said he still instinctively made a mad dash back towards the kitchen, not at all worried he might smash his head at any moment as he made his excited getaway. During past city-sponsored progressive ghost dinners over the years, I have been joined at City Park by my best friend John Cassidy. John, who has previously been a guest on this program, is lead investigator and founder of Bumps in the Night, 
a local paranormal investigative research group. They have all the electronics you see on the TV shows. And John is a true medium slash clairvoyant. He's able to see and experience things that most of us may be very skeptical about. He sees and hears dead people. John is also very legit and non-exploitative of his abilities. Over the years, Bumps in the Night has captured several hits with their equipment at City Park Grill during investigations and have had other encounters in the basement during investigations as well, including John having a broom thrown at him from the top of the old staircase, possibly by the little girl in Victorian clothing that inhabits the building. Although she was usually seen upstairs, she has been known to let out a terrifying shriek on occasion to startle those that are working in the old spooky basement. When upstairs, the young ghostly girl usually stays close to the ladies' room, or the back section of the dining room and the auxiliary dining room called the Hemingway Room. She has startled diners during the afternoon, as well as making late-night appearances over the years. One incident that specifically stands out in my head involving this girl in the yellow dress happened just last summer with a guest that had been on one of my tours years earlier. She recounted to our group that during her previous tour, while we were telling stories in the Hemingway dining room, she repeatedly was drawn to the far back left corner and felt very, very uneasy. She was so uncomfortable, in fact, that when the group headed to another part of the building, she snapped a quick couple of photos. She then sent them across the country to a friend without any text or explanation. This man apparently also has some sensitivity concerning these matters. Within just a few moments, he texted back that there was a young girl harboring in the corner and peeking out from under a table. The guest had waited until her next visit to tell me this information, like so many other people that have had experiences while on our tours, because they don't always want people to think they are odd or, well, let's just say crazy. There's a lady I met during her time work at the City Park Grill, and she has had two long-term relationships with fellow employees over the years, one actually resulting in a happy marriage and family. I find it somewhat comical that both of her significant others have each had very similar experiences while working in the restaurant. During past conversations with these two gentlemen, both had related seeing the aforementioned chandeliers in the restaurant moving independently on their own and hearing loud retro music playing after hours while they're alone in the bar. Maybe the three of them are more in tune to each other than they care to think. My good friend John, that was once a bartender during my early years at the end of the bar, would often grumble about coming into work in the morning to set up after a late night shift the night before, only to find the bar in disarray, as if a big party had been going on after he closed shop. The former owner of the building also has mentioned that the group that ran the restaurant prior to the current owners would complain often that although they held the lease, it seemed the building had a second shift that operated throughout the late evening and early morning hours. So whether you are an avid ghost aficionado or just interested in visiting one of Michigan's most historic saloons, make sure and belly up to the bar at City Park Grill. But just remember, you may need a reservation if you plan on attending one of the late night ghostly after parties. I'm your host, Christopher Struble, and for more information, please find us on Facebook at Ghost of Northern Michigan's Past. And please join us next time as we explore more paranormal history at Ghost of Northern Michigan's Past. <laughs>